This is Here's How, Ireland's political, social and current affairs podcast, presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading episode 86 of Here's How for the 11th of June 2019. I love radio. I have ever since I burnt through PP3 batteries for my first transistor. On this podcast, I've got questions for someone who's in charge of broadcasting in Ireland. Here's How is Ireland's political, social and current affairs podcast. Make your view heard. Just dial 076 603 5060 and tell the world what you're thinking. Your voicemail may be included in the next podcast. You can find tips on recording your contribution and other ways to contact the show at hereshow.ie slash call. Coming up on today's podcast, what you've done is you have given licenses to about seven or eight radio stations that are all broadcasting more or less the same thing. And I went back and I had a look. Well, we, would, we wouldn't agree. We wouldn't agree that they're broadcasting the same thing. Each of each of those services has what's called a program policy statement. Mm-hmm. And each of those services were licensed to provide different types of uh, radio services. Now, there's yeah, obviously, hold that thought. Hold that thought. Decking, decking, hold that be, thought. Just, well, there's obviously, there's obviously going to be some overlap in those services. But for example, 98FM is a classic hit service. Mm-hmm. FM 104 is a top 40 service. Spin 103 is a service focused on very new music with a youth focus. Classic Hits is a multinational, is a multi is a multi service across the country, so it's covering not just Dublin but other services. But I suppose what I would say is that they're all they're all licensed. Declan, for very Declan, which which you know? okay, you say they're very different. Which one of those could not play Ed Sheeran? Uh, which one? Well, which one could not play Ed Sheeran? I mean, that's a very specific question. That's coming up in just a moment, and I'm not going to have my little rant at the top of this podcast because the interview is quite long, but I thought it was interesting, so I don't want to chop it down. So I just want to quickly say thank you to all of my donors on Patreon. They're the kind people who donate a dollar or two per podcast or per month, which allows me to put more time into research making the podcast. If you think that you could do the same as them, there's details on the website and at the end of the show. On the line now from the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland, I have Declan McLaughlin. He's a senior manager there. Declan, what's the BAI for? It's uh, essentially the the regulator for the radio and television sector in Ireland and has a range of activities. Mm-hmm. including uh, licensing of radio and television services, the development of broadcasting codes and rules, uh, a range of compliance activities, and then it supports uh, the public and uh, the broadcasters via activities such as uh, sectoral development, media literacy, mm-hmm. and also via the funding of radio and television programming of uh, particular public interest. Okay. Um, the BAI, I think, might be analogous, at least a little bit, to Ofcom in the UK, which is the broadcasting regulator there, and the FCC in the US, it's the Federal Communications Commission. But those two would have very, very different focuses. The FCC would really be a technical organization, and they make sure that, you know, one radio station broadcasting on one frequency doesn't interfere with another station in another city. Ofcom take a much deeper regulatory role and they take an intense interest in the content of each radio station and they will on occasions tell radio stations including BBC stations that they have to change their programming in a particular way to appeal to different audiences or for whatever other reason which of those two paths does the BAI follow? 
Well, our focus is predominantly on content. If you were to compare the Irish regulatory system to the UK, uh, effectively, uh, Ofcom would include a Comreg-like function. So they have a licensing and spectrum function. Mm-hmm. They also have a role in respect of content and licensing. So they have a broader remit than the BAI. The BAI's role is very much focused on uh, content in terms of licensing and regulating uh, content. Mm-hmm. But when they say, and people will be familiar with uh, American media, so when the US talks about licensing, they're really just saying technical correctness that people don't interfere with each other and, uh, and so forth. Yes. When you say licensing, you really have an eye to content. And one other big difference is the FCC take no opinion on the correct number of radio stations. Even in Dublin, but certainly in most parts of Ireland, most of the radio band, if I turn the dial, most of the band is devoted to frying sausages. So we don't have nearly as many radio stations. There's like literally no gaps if you go to most places in the US. Why is that? Well, I suppose it's 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 very much uh, due to the physical infrastructure. I mean, when historically, uh, radio licensing in in any jurisdiction was around uh, spectrum and the amount of spectrum. And clearly, in a country such as America, given its size, there's a there's a very significant amount of free airwaves for licensing. In the UK, uh, there is also more than in Ireland, but ultimately in Ireland, there's less frequency. And therefore, the the licensing regime is very much linked uh, to that. Roll, roll so, back there. Roll back there. Are you saying that the number of radio stations that I have on my dial, whether I'm in the wilds of Mayo or the centre of Dublin, that's the maximum number of stations that could technically fit? Yeah, cl- cl- more or less. I mean, there's a there's a spectrum going from let's say around the 88 on the FM dial up to whatever 108 I think I don't remember mm-hmm. the exact figure and there must be at least uh, I suppose 0. 0.3 uh, frequency gaps difference in between, between them. them and therefore that puts an actual physical limit on the amount of radio stations that can be licensed without interfering now when you get down to locally local areas you can have a bit of flexibility and that's so for example we can license local community radio stations in Cork uh, because there is there is locally more spectrum, but generally speaking, there are there are physical airwave limits on spectrum. Now that's obviously changing with the development of digital. But um, sure, sure, but but I'm I'm really surprised at that because I'm looking at the um, listing on uh, the FCC website for New York City. Now New York City is actually in quite a densely populated area. It's very close to other cities like Philadelphia, like uh, Scranton and Allentown and and Stamford and so forth. But for New York City alone, there are forty different radio stations licensed to broadcast from New York. And that's not counting the stations that if you were in New York, you could pick up from other cities. Uh, So I'm wondering, you know, they live in the same technical world as us. You're really saying that you couldn't fit in anything else? Well, I suppose I'm not. I'm not uh, deeply familiar with the, the the radio licensing structure in New York, but I know in America they have, for example, satellite radios. No, no, uh, I'm just talking about AM and FM AM and FM stations here. Uh, it's what you're asking. I suppose I, I, I can't. There's also issues around. You also have to coordinate frequencies with the UK. You have to coordinate frequencies with Northern Ireland. So I'm not an expert in this area, but my understanding is that there are there are basic technical limitations in an Irish context. And I can't okay. really speak to the American context and what the regulations are like there, why why the structure will be different. Okay. I, I would imagine that the technology is more or less similar, but put that, put that aside. Bearing in mind, we do have 60 radio stations in Ireland. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of radio stations in Ireland. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, it's, so it's not that there's a, somehow a very limited amount. 
but I said there are there are <clears throat> there are licensing and inspection issues, uh, but I, I wouldn't be familiar enough with them okay, to give okay. you a detailed answer as to why why there, there 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 would be a difference in New York compared to Dublin or Ireland. Okay, uh, put it, putting that aside then for a minute, I kind of get a feeling, because I love radio. I've had a radio since I was about five, and I remember tuning in and discovering pirate radios. And it seems to me that the diversity in radio that you get in other places is not really there in Ireland. For example, in the centre of Dublin, there's a whole bunch of of radio stations and you could say 2FM, uh, 4FM, Today FM, 98FM, 104FM, Spin 1038, Radio Nova, Sunshine Radio, uh, some pirate names cropping up again there. Those are the big radio stations that have a big fat FM signal and they're all playing more or less the same thing. Adult rock slash top 40 music. News at the top of the hour followed by weather. Stay tuned for the music after the break. It's very, very samey. And if I look to the UK, for example, Ofcom are very strict with BBC Radio 1. I'll get to that in a minute. But if I look, for example, to New York, uh, there is one station, WNYL, which broadcasts heavy metal music. And that's their niche. And that's one of the 40 uh, stations. They make that work for them. And that music is also available, for example, BBC have specialist music stations, but they're, they're like the flagship one is BBC Radio 1, which would be the youth popular station. We really miss out on that in Ireland, don't we? Well, I think you, I think you can't really compare the radio services and the, and the range of radio services in the country or a place like New York or, or England with Ireland. There's a couple of reasons for that. Obviously, I mentioned there's, there's some frequency issues, but separately, there, there are different markets. I mean, the, ultimately, the way the radio, if you talk about the kind of services you were talking about in Dublin, the commercial services, the way they work is that uh, they need to be commercially viable. And if you're dealing with a, someone like London or New York, the amount of uh, audiences, the amount of advertising uh, is much, much greater in terms of supporting a viable commercial radio service than you would have in Dublin. So there's plain pure market differences. Sure, sure. That, then, that's, then, that's true. That's true. But pause on that for a second, because you're the licensor. And what you've done is you have given licenses to, that's about seven or eight radio stations that are all broadcasting more or less the same thing. And I went back and I had a look. Well, we, would, we wouldn't agree. We wouldn't agree that they're broadcasting the same thing. Each of each of those services has what's called a program policy statement. Mm-hmm. And each of those services were licensed to provide different types of uh, radio services. Now, there's yeah, obviously, hold that thought. Hold that thought. Declan, Declan, hold that be, thought. Just, well, there's obviously, there's obviously going to be some overlap in those services. But for example, 98FM is a classic hit service. Mm-hmm. FM 104 is a top 40 service. Spin 103 is a service focused on very new music with a youth focus. Classic Hits is a multinational, is a multi is a multi service across the country. So it's covering not just Dublin but other services. Mm-hmm. You have News Talk. You have Cla- you have RT. You have sure, RT News Talk is not, is not not one of the, not one of those that I listed. Yeah, which, but I thought, which, what I would which, say is which that one of those? All, all Declan, Declan, which services, which? You know? Okay, you say they're very different. Which one of those could not play Ed Sheeran? Uh, which one? Well. Which one could not play Ed Sheeran? I mean, that's a very specific question. I suppose you, you, you would, you would, you would expect Ed Sheeran, a current Ed Sheeran song, for example, on uh, FM 104. You wouldn't expect an Ed Sheeran song, particularly on Spin, and you would expect an old, older Ed Sheeran songs on the like of uh, 
on the likes of uh, classic hits 98 FM. What I would say is, though, I mean, ultimately it comes down to listenership, and there is a very diverse range of listenership for those services. So there is a clear interest in the service. And ultimately, if you're looking at... I, I'm not sure that's that true, Declan. Pause, 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 pause for a moment. Go ahead. Pause from that for a moment, because if you look at the... The first of those to set up was 98FM. That was in early 1990s, 98FM. Today FM was set up a couple of years later as Century Radio. Spin 1038 is much newer. The bid that they made to what is now the BAI bears no comparison to what they're now broadcasting. That's true, isn't it? Are you referring to Today FM? To, to Today FM and 98FM in particular, also Spin 1038. Spin 1038 was licensed as a very much a youth-oriented station that might be like BBC Radio 1 in the UK. It's really very little different. Okay, it's got a slight difference, but absolutely Ed Sheeran could be played and nobody would bat an eyelid to say that that's out of place on Spin, on Today FM, on 98FM, on 2FM, uh, probably also on 4FM. And, and my, yes, point you, is, my point is, my point is, let me let me make the point on that. Sure, yeah. That that market is essentially the 25 to 40 market. And those are people who are spending money and advertisers want people who are spending money. Therefore, radio stations want people who are spending money. And there is almost nothing left. So there are styles of music that some people have a very great interest in. And I would mention two very different styles. One would be something like the Wolf Tones. They're a hugely popular band and they can't get on the radio at all. And another is heavy metal. That's quite a large subculture in Ireland. A lot of people listen to that and it has very devoted followers. But neither of those are played on the radio because if somebody plays the latest Ed Sheeran song or an oldie from Kylie Minogue, nobody changes the station. If somebody plays the Wolf Tones or Heavy Metal, that has its fans, but the people who don't like it will probably change the station. And what we end up is with, when we could have maybe one station that played a lot of Heavy Metal or one station that played a lot of the Wolf Tone style, we don't get that. We get a whole load of stations that play stuff that's very, very bland. Well, I mean, I suppose it probably just two comments on that one i mean like the, the way the way the license system works is that each of those services have different remits mm-hmm. their 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 program policy statements are public documents which are accessible to anyone we then assess their compliance against those and then we if there's an issue with non-compliance then we deal with that so i mean you you, you are going to have overlaps in terms of music but our own view is that they are quite different services serving different audiences and they are all they're all addressing a, an audience need and you can see that from the fact that they're still on air and they're still they're still listened to. On the the more broad question about let's say different types of music, the way the licensing structure is set up and the way that the regulatory structure is set up under broadcasting law is that the, basically the BEI invites what's called an expression of interest. So we mm-hmm. say, okay, well. We have a we have a spectrum. We are inviting views on what people would like uh, to to provide on that service, and then based on that, then the, there is a there is an invitation for 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 applications. So mm-hmm. we, we you know we we don't and that determines what actually is licensed because they are commercial radio services, and ultimately individuals or companies or groups or shareholders will will pitch for those. Uh, and we don't, you know, a good example with jazz, we've never had 
a pitch for a jazz service. We've never had a pitch for a heavy metal hard rock service. Mm-hmm. What What is on air is what people are willing to fund and run commercially. Mm-hmm. And then the likes of the likes of RTE or other services will provide different types of music as well. So well, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that and they and do. Ultimately that, and ultimately that is linked to Spectrum and also what people are willing to invest in. Okay, I'm not sure that they do, and I know that 2FM was originally set up as Radio 2, very much in the model of BBC Radio 1, which was very much set up to attract a youth audience and particularly take them away from uh, pirate radios. Uh, Ireland was 20 or 30 years late at that, but that's what the origin of 2FM was. But BBC Radio 1 has been instructed by its regulators to have essentially a cultural revolution pretty regularly in the mid in the mid 1990s there was one mid to early 1990s BBC Radio 1 fired a whole slew of their most popular broadcasters including people like Steve Wright and they lost millions many millions of listeners because they were instructed not to chase an aging audience that would get older with it they were in- instructed to chase a teenage and even pre-teenage audience even though those people didn't have spending money, they were entitled to have uh, radio. They did the same thing in about uh, 2012. They fired Chris Moyles, who was their most popular DJ, because he was appealing to an aging audience that was maybe a BBC Radio 2, a more an older audience. He was appealing to that and they were told, knock it off to appeal to a younger audience and to constantly reinvigorate. RTE 2FM has presenters in 60, in their 60s and 70s and even up to recently one presenter in his 80s. It's really just another adult rock slash top 40 station, isn't it? It's, it's, well, I can't necessarily agree with that because the RTE 2FM is, is, is appealing to a younger audience as well. I mean, the thing is, I think. Do, do they, do they appeal, I do, I do they, I, do they release their average listener age to you? Uh, well, they're, they've changed law figures which are publicly available and they're done, they're released every quarter. So yeah, but you can't get their any, average it, age it, of listener. Uh, I, I don't have that information to hand, okay. but that will be available from the general law figures. I mean, the thing is, you, you, again, you can't compare UK regulatory systems and radio services to, to the Irish system. And secondly, I think you're focusing rather narrowly, I think, on what's available. If you, like the B, the BI licensed services across the state. So you would have, you have like the likes of 15 or 16 community radio services. Mm-hmm. You have. I'll move on to community uh, radio services you have a bit. 20, you have about 20 local radio stations which are providing very local services. Mm-hmm. You then have the national services, which are which are not licensed by the BAI in terms of the RT services. You have Lyric FM, you have Radio Nagrata, you have Irish Language Radio Services, you have you have uh, student-focused services in Cork, Galway, Limerick, uh, and then you have then the music services, which are at a a regional service. So I think by simply focusing on the Dublin market, and I don't agree with your analysis of the Dublin market, but by simply focusing on the Dublin market and by comparing it probably inappropriately to the UK. I think you're presenting a very narrow perspective of what's available in terms of radio uh, services. Let's, let's move on then to, to, because you mentioned the community ones, and I think that's a very interesting, mm-hmm. it's a very important sector. How limited is their signal strength? Uh, the way it works is that, generally speaking, they are licensed for a particular area. So it would be around uh, around eight kilometers from that particular area. How, how many kilometers? Mo- maybe around eight kilometers. Okay, so very, yeah. very small. Well, intentionally small because the way that the, the, the and the, the, the way I should bear should say that the licensing framework for for community radio services is is defined very much by what's called the community radio policy, mm-hmm. and the community radio policy was developed in strong collaboration with the community radio sector. So 
the the services are meant to serve the very the whole point of them is that they're meant to serve the very local area, mm-hmm. uh, and therefore the, the the small franchise area broadcast area is intentional because if you're servicing, for example, uh, Connemara and Letterfrack, which uh, one service is, then it makes no sense to be servicing a town thirty miles away because they're not in your community, and therefore your ownership and your and your programming is not going to mean anything to them. So, but, but the if, if, the you are, if you are within the if you are within the area and there's a hill between you where the radio and the kitchen isn't quite so good or people are a little bit wobbly when they're tuning it in. We can get a feeling if it's available. Okay. One thing I want to do then is change the topic and the tune that you're hearing in the background might be familiar to a lot of listeners. That's the uh, theme from Channel 4 News. It's called Best Endeavours. A huge number of people in Ireland will be very familiar with that. And Channel 4 is a very particular broadcaster in the UK. It's different to the BBC and to the commercial broadcasters because it's owned by the government, but it doesn't get any funding from the government. So that means it's independent of shareholders, but it's also independent of the government in the sense that they don't have to beg the government for licence fee increases like the BBC does. And... Channel 4 News, which I know a lot of my listeners uh, listen to and a lot of people in Ireland listen to, they've got a really unique voice in British broadcasting. They tend to question government decisions very robustly. And some of the stories they've broken down the years have been absolutely astounding. They broke the story of the dodgy dossier that the Blair government was lying about um, Iraqi weapons in the lead up to the war with Saddam Hussein. They broke the MPs expenses scandal, which led to four MPs going to jail and to huge reforms in the House of Commons. And uh, of course, more recently, they broke the Cambridge Analytica story about political manipulation on Facebook. I'm sure you agree. Channel 4 it really has a vital and unique niche in UK politics. What do you think, what news broadcast provides that service in Ireland? Well, clearly the public service uh, broadcaster, RTE, would have a strong public service remit, which is not dissimilar to to uh, Channel 4. So, I mean, there are there are many examples of RTE breaking news stories, particularly via its primetime investigates. Uh, so there would be. I mean, I think that's that's one of their one of their key roles, which would be different from the commercial radio sector or the commercial television sector, which has a different remit. At, at best, I think RTE news might be compared to BBC news. But do you not think that there is any advantage that Channel 4 has in the way that it is independent both of shareholders and of government funding? Well, certainly, yes. I mean, in the, in the case of, I mean, in the case of the public service sector, they're relying on dual funding and that creates a tension in terms of having to obviously produce programming that is appealing to advertisers as well as, yes, exactly, as well as producing programming that is within its public service remit. So, I mean, the BEI is on record of, of saying that the funding for public service broadcasting in Ireland is, is not currently sufficient uh, and th- and hasn't the license fee hasn't changed in a number of years, and that does have an impact on the scope and range of programming that can be produced, uh, such as the likes of uh, of that, that that are produced by RT. So, or okay, by are you are you comfortable? Are you comfortable with the fact that if you go on a lot of you know political Twitter or on message boards and so forth, 
RTE is referred to as Pravda, and people understand that without explanation. Pravda, of course, was the uh, the mouthpiece of the Soviet Communist mm-hmm. Party. And people just say Pravda, and everybody understands they're referring to RTE. You're happy with that? Well, it, I mean, it's it's not it's not for me to have an opinion on that. What I will say is that there is a lot of references to RTE as a state broadcaster. Ireland does not have a state broadcaster. Ireland has a public service broadcaster. State broadcasters are Pravda. State broadcasters are those which are controlled. It wasn't actually a party state. one, but anyway. And uh, an RTE, RTE certainly isn't a state broadcaster. And you will find that there is there is a wide variety of opinions as to whether RTE is liberal or conservative or. Mm-hmm. Or towing the government line, or 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 following the establishment line. Now it's not for the BIA to comment on that, but and I, and we wouldn't have a view on the the kind of issues that, that you're talking about in terms of 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 online comments on RTE. But the, I suppose the fact of the matter is that we don't have a state broadcast. We have a public service broadcast with a public service remit, and there is a range of views as to, in the in the public sphere and the political sphere as to how well it does its job. What the BIA's role is is that every year the broadcaster is required to set out its performance commitments, uh, mm-hmm. which are set by by RTE, and then the BI will uh, evaluate how well it's succeeded in meeting those commitments, and then makes a recommendation to government around public funding, and then it's entirely a matter for government as to what those levels of funding funding are. Okay, putting aside, and you're right, of course, everybody will think that they're by bi- you know they're biased against them. People will always see that, and that's the the type of loss aversion that affects everybody. But independent of that, there there is pretty good evidence that RTE is much more likely to genuflect to power, that they are much less likely to challenge powerful institutions. And just one, and I understand that that can be difficult to measure and people will have a different view on it, but just to take a very, very precise and indisputable instance, when the Pope came to Ireland, Pope Francis came to Ireland a couple of years back, there were two notable things that were never reported on RT. One was the fact that uh, attendance at the Phoenix Park was down 90% on the previous papal visit, and also, really controversially, the uh, disgraced Cardinal, Sean Brady, who was notorious for covering up crimes of uh, the paedophile priest Brendan Smith, he was there at the red carpet greeting Brendan Smith, and that was not mentioned on RT, and it appeared that RT were almost uh, avoiding catching him on camera. That, that's really remarkable that those facts only came out on social media, isn't it? Well, I mean, I can't comment on what RTE did in terms of his coverage of the papal, uh, papal, uh, the papal uh, visit. I mean, our role is really around whether we deal with complaints. We don't get into editorial decisions of RTE, mm-hmm. so I can't comment on the on, on those kind of issues. Okay, but you would agree that individual issues of bias, which everybody will accuse every broadcaster of, and that's normal, but having a general tone of more supporting the establishment is a different issue and a separate issue i mean we we i mean we 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 don't get into i suppose what you might call news values i mean regulation doesn't deal with news values and by news values i mean the choice of things to cover or not to cover and how to cover the way the the, the broadcasting law is set up is that there's the broadcasters have the freedom to choose how they cover and what they cover in terms of news and current affairs and obviously rte has a certain public remit which is why you would have coverage of the papal visit on rte which you wouldn't necessarily have on to the same extent on a service such as virgin media one 
what what our role is really is to set out the standards in terms of what fair, objective, and impartial coverage is, and then to adjudicate on complaints that arise thereafter. Yeah, I've been reading those. I've been reading those. We don't get into what they should or should not cover and how they should or should not cover. So things like the papal coverage or some of those issues that you're dealing with are not really a matter for the regulator, except insofar as they raise questions about infringing broadcasting codes and rules. Okay, I've I've been reading. I have an awful lot of sympathy with you, by the way. I've been reading on your website because you publish them all, the complaints against various broadcasters that you have adjudicated on and I just uh, pity the person who has to read all of those and a lot of them uh, there's a very high rejection rate something like 80 or 85 percent of them are rejected and when I started reading when I saw that statistic I thought that raised an eyebrow but when I read a lot of the complaints I, I had more sympathy with you because I think largely that was justified but there is one aspect of your complaints process that I would question and it's this the complaints that you accept are against generally a particular program broadcast on a particular instance. So if Fianna Fáil thinks that Fine Gael got too much time in a debate on the European elections that we've had or something like that, they can make a complaint and that may or may not be adjudicated upon. And in fact, in the recent debates on the European elections and local elections, we've seen the presenters mention the stopwatch that they kind of have to watch, how much time they give to individual people and make sure that it's all balanced and so forth. And that's fine. But where there are systemic issues or where there's the possibility of a systemic issue of bias, I don't see how the BAI can deal with that. How do they do that? Yeah, I mean the way the way the 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 the, the act works and the way we consider complaints is if there's a pattern of I mean if there's a pattern of let's say non-compliance in a particular in a particular area then we have an we we have a number of measures open to us and I'll give you I'll give an example of mm-hmm. where uh, there was a number of complaints upheld against the Ray Darcy show on RTE for its coverage of. Uh, of uh, issues around Ireland's law on uh, terminations of pregnancies, and uh, there were th- there were three successive uh, instances of non-compliance. And what the BI did in that instance is we issued what's called a warning notice, mm-hmm. and what that means is that the broadcaster has to meet with the BI, uh, has to set out its plan for dealing with uh, or for avoiding a further repeat of non-compliance, and then if the BI is unhappy, uh, either in the case of one individual significant infringement of broadcasting rules, or if there's a repeated pattern, then we can undertake what's called a statutory investigation and then we can levy a fine of up to a quarter of a million euro. So I think there, there, we, we, we won't necessarily deal, we will deal with sort of what you might call uh, consistent issues of non-compliance with codes and rules around fairness or objective in using current affairs where there's a pattern and that pattern would emerge either from a monitoring process or would mm-hmm. emerge from a complaint handling process. So there is a, there is a, there is a framework there. But I suppose we, it is important to ensure that Broadcasters have a wide latitude in terms of freedom of expression. Okay. Let, let me give you let me give one, one example. Where there is clear clear good reason. Let, let me give you one example then from history because uh, Owen Harris is, um, I think, still around, but he was mm-hmm. a political operator. He was a member of the Workers' Party in their heyday, and he worked on uh, what was then today tonight, which is the forerunner of prime time on RTE. Mm-hmm. And Fianna Fáil got so annoyed with 
that particular program that they called it instead of Today Tonight, they called it the Workers' Program because they felt it was so influenced by Owen Harris and several of his colleagues who were very strong Workers' Party supporters at the time. And Owen Harris uh, has given an interview where he essentially fessed up to this and he said that one of the tactics that they would use would be, because they felt they were competing with the Labour Party at the time, they would set up a debate between a Workers' Party representative and they would be careful to choose the most talented speaker from the Workers' Party and be careful to choose the least media-friendly and least articulate member of the Labour Party to go up against them. In that sort of an instance, clearly there was a failure of regulation then because that, that was allowed to happen Owen Harris admitted it. But if something along that line was happening now, how would you catch it? Well, I think obviously, as you said, that that goes back quite a number of years, and I imagine other producers in the program might have a different perspective on the matter, and RT may well have a different perspective on the matter. But the way the way that would be captured now is that certainly in terms of uh, in terms of uh, the current regulations, I mean that that kind of situation where you ha- would have a stronger uh, interviewer against a weaker interviewer. I mean, ultimately, if 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 the way in which the program was handled was such that there was uh, a lack of fairness. Then that could be captured. That would be a factor that could be taken into account. And certainly, in the case of some, I'm thinking of a of a of a uh, of a uh, uh, a complaint that was made a number of years ago, where there was a presenter dealing with a less experienced uh, a less experienced guest, and the, the the complaint was that the presenter basically was being unfair because of their their experience and and the mm-hmm. experience gap and that that was a factor that was taken into account so i mean these things are handled on a case by case basis but certainly if you the fact that you have a more experienced presenter against or guest against a weaker less experienced guest that that would be a relevant factor but the thing is the whole program will be taken oh, into yes account. but that would be a relevant factor on an individual complaint but yes. where that's happening at a low level across time i don't see how your systems can pick that up well, I mean, if 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 if, if, there, if that was happening on a on a regular basis and there was a consistent number of complaints which were repelled, that's how it would be taken. That's how it would be handled. I mean, ultimately, it's, it, the, the BI's role is not to police every single program that gets broadcast. Uh, rather, it's it's to adjudicate complaints that do arise and to take action when those do, those situations do arise. So there is an obligation on on the public or on any political actors or any campaigners to engage with the complaints handling system as well. Uh, so between the two of those, uh, if you had a series of complaints that, that saw and there was a pattern of editorial behaviour uh, and there was a series of complaints that were upheld, that's how that would be dealt with. But ultimately speaking, uh, there is a there are limits on regulation and we don't get into, what well, as I said, we don't get into policing news values and how programmes are put together. It's really about what's broadcast and whether there's a pattern of, of non-compliance that emerges. But, but you do enforce balance. Uh, well, we enforce fairness, objective of impartiality. I mean, there's a common misperception that balance is a legal obligation. Uh, there is no legal I, obligation. Impartiality, then. Yeah. And balance is a way in which you, you, you can achieve uh, fairness, objective and impartiality. But that can be achieved by a presenter or it could be achieved by a, a reporter presenting an item, or it could be achieved by having another person in the room. It can also be achieved by equal airtime, but there's no obligation for equal airtime. So, so you can have Leo Varadkar on today and you can have Micheál Martin on tomorrow, and you don't say that either one of the, uh, the other of the programmes was biased because they both get a shot of that over time. 
And also how the presenter uh, engage with the guest as well, what questions they put to the guest, what, what questions they challenge the guest. So it is very much, otherwise you end up with radio or television, which is just talking heads who are, who are just arguing with each other, and that doesn't necessarily serve the public interest. Okay, what I want to do then is I want to look at two different competing notions of balance or impartiality or whatever you want to call it. And the first is a tweet which was sent out by Gavin Riley, who is the Virgin Media News correspondent respondent and he sent a tweet and I'll link to it in the show notes but I'll read it out to you. It says note to the world at large balanced coverage doesn't mean each side being happy with its hearing sometimes it means one side getting spanked and I want to compare that with this quotation from Donald Byrne of RT. He's a senior editor on Morning Ireland. We have a less than cosy relationship with many, many interest groups and pressure groups, and we are constantly under pressure from them, which suggests to me, uh, in my experience as a news editor and as a program editor, that we're getting something right when you're getting equal volume of complaints from both sides. Which of those two views of balance do you think the BAI represents the BAI best? Well, I mean, they're both valid. Uh, for, I'll give you, and I'll explain that. I suppose one, you, you can, you can, you know, each each situation is going to be different, and each topic is going to may require different different uh, handling. So, I'll give you an example in terms of the, 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 the to, to sort of some of the issues that the first quote deals with is that if you have two people on the program talking about climate change, mm-hmm. uh, and let's let's assume and which 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 I do that the the debate on the climate change as a as a as a man made as a man made fact is mm-hmm. very very well established. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have an interview with one person who's saying that uh, it's nonsense. There's no proof. Uh, the world is always warming. It's the sun, or whatever, whatever common there's argument. There's a variety of arguments there, yeah. That. And then you have an interviewee who says, "Well, climate change is a reality. The majority of scientific fact, etc., etc., etc." Now, if the presenter is more critically challenging of the guest who does not believe in climate change, uh, and that is not unfair. Uh, and if they are quite critical and quite hard on that person's perspective, uh, that is not that is not a lack of balance. That's a, probably an appropriate response. In the other case, you may have a situation where there is a topic which is maybe under much wider debate and discussion. It's a kind of it's a live issue uh, where there are a, v- a wide variety of views on what the truth might be or what the best option might be. Then the presenter who is handling that and is basically putting the, I suppose, the critical arguments to both parties where there are critical issues to be discussed is likely to be make listeners unhappy if they hold one view or another. So mm-hmm. I think both sides, both perspectives are valid, but it's very much on what the topic is and what, what, what fairness requires. Let me, uh, let me give you another quote. Let me give you mm-hmm. another quote. And this comes, it's unclear who said it first, but the quotation is Journalism 101. If somebody says it's raining and another person says it's dry, it's not your job to quote them both. It's your job to look out the effing window and find out which is true. And that's a fair perspective. Where where things are where things are that clear cut. Obviously if things are less clear cut then there's going to be a more nuanced discussion. So there's a difference between an art and a science essentially. Yeah, I think that's a fair Okay. A fair do, do, do you do you think that it is a valid criticism of Irish broadcasters and journalists particularly who may be working under pressure and don't want to get it in the neck and don't want to get it dozens of complaints that they perhaps tend more towards saying, uh, just quoting them both. 
I think I mean I, I I wouldn't may I wouldn't agree that that's a wholesale fair criticism, but I certainly in our experience that 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 can happen. And what we've done around things like referenda elections is we've tried to nuance our our guidelines to I suppose give broadcasters the freedom uh, to 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 deal with issues as they see. As you said, if if it's raining, it's raining, and that's not a you don't need the dual opinions on it. But I think certainly when you've got broadcasters who maybe are under time pressures, under financial pressures, uh, then there there can be a tendency to take what can be the easy route, which is to basically have on two talking heads and the 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 the, the, the presenter in that instance just serves as a ringmaster rather than as somebody who's critically engaging. And that, that can happen and it, it has happened and that's why you often have a situation where you have a stopwatch approach to referenda coverage mm-hmm. when in fact there may be a very strong public view or political view. But this uh, came that, up um, in, the, in the British, I want to maybe not mm-hmm. bring in Irish politics, it's a bit contentious, but in the Brexit referendum that the BBC really have been seriously criticised for this, that they had one economist uh, saying uh, this is likely to be disastrous and another economist saying no, this is the greatest things since sliced bread and gave them equal time and apparently equal status when the economist saying this is uh, very risky and could be a disaster had hundreds of other very uh, notable economists backing them up and the one who didn't got a degree from somewhere not so reputable and had nobody of repute backing them up. That's a real danger and to me when I turn on RTE, well, put it this way, when I turn off RTE, it's usually because it's that stopwatch approach going. Do you feel you have any role to essentially improve quality in that sense? Yeah, I mean, as I said, the the the, the choices to how to run programs with broadcasts is what we can do is we can provide uh, we can provide rules where appropriate. And and what we've done with our with our more recent election and referendum guidelines is really to set out that it's that that kind of approach where you're simply dealing with things adversarially, or where you're simply you know not when you're not dealing with the topic, you're just dealing with the individuals arguing. That doesn't necessarily serve the interests interests of the public. So we have tried to provide guidance on that. Uh, we also have done workshops with broadcasts where we've t- talked through our perspectives but ultimately the BEI you know we we can we can give guidance and directions to broadcasts we can support them via training but ultimately broadcasters are free to broadcast what they choose uh, and then it's only where the broadcast might infringe broadcasting law that the BEI has that has a role but I think that's that kind of broadcasting doesn't really serve the interests of audiences uh, and it would be preferable if there, if, if, if there was a more challenging nuanced approach taken in some instances but that is really a matter for broadcasters uh, themselves. Okay, one other topic then. Obviously, all Irish broadcasters rely on advertising either partially in the case of RTE or wholly in almost every other case. There is sometimes, and this has come up a few times, the danger whereby commercial influence is overstepping its mark. And I spoke to one journalist from the Sunday Times, and he mentioned um, RTE's use of Paddy Power. Now, Paddy Power is obviously a major gambling company with betting shops, and now with online betting, I think is probably even bigger than their betting shops business. And they sponsor Red Sea opinion polls. And these opinion polls, very, very frequently, particularly with the Sean O'Rourke program, end up with Stuart Kenny, the CEO of Paddy Power or somebody else, coming into the studio and giving a long, soft interview about the results of the opinion poll and 
Paddy Power gets a name check very, very frequently on that. And what the Sunday Times journalist I was speaking to said was that under Sunday Times rule, and of course there are no rules, there's no BAI for press broadcasting, but just under their own ethics rules that they voluntarily follow, would be unacceptable under there. That really counts as sponsorship, even though it's not being regulated, doesn't it? Uh, well, I don't know the particular details of the arrangement, but certainly, I mean, you are allowed sponsor. Sponsorship of content is permitted, but it is subject to very clear restrictions. Mm-hmm. And, and the, 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 the principal restriction is that it can't influence the editorial content. So I'll give you an example. If you had a betting company who were, you know, sponsoring a particular sports coverage or whatever, mm-hmm. and then there's somebody came on from that company and talked about the, the horse racing. Uh, now you've got, you've got somebody who's got an expertise in that particular field, uh, it would only be problematic if there was references to, let's say, the products and services of the sponsor in terms of particular odds at a racing match, or if the or if the particular content or or, or contribution by that person was uh, leading to a distortion of the of let's say the news and current affairs content. So there are sure, rules sure. there. But that, to that's deal that's with above that. board. That's above board sponsorship. There are rules to deal with it, as you say. Mm-hmm. RT has a committee that actually approves or in, perhaps in some cases rejects potential sponsorship deals. But this is something that RT denies is sponsorship and then uh, on that basis says that the rules don't apply because they're denying that it's sponsorship. But essentially, that's free content and quite interesting content. Po- opinion polls have, you know, generated a, a lot of interest. That's free content for RTE and free, at the very minimum, publicity, we might say advertising, for Paddy Power. And I've spoken to uh, Michael Foley. He is a professor of journalism at TU Dublin, formerly the DIT, and um, about this topic. And he said that he's quite surprised that the BAI hasn't tapped RTE on the shoulder and said that this type of behaviour, whereby RTE are accepting services, accepting content from particular commercial organizations, then giving very prominent mentions to that commercial organization. That's really coming close to the line in terms of the rules, isn't it? Well, I mean, as I said, I'm not familiar with the particular arrangement that you're referring to, but ultimately speaking, there are clear rules in this area, and uh, there is it's open to any member of the public or any individual to complain about that content. Uh, and that so there are if the content is being if the content is being uh, influenced by the arrangement, then that would be in, in breach of broadcasting rules. But it'll come down to the specific content on a specific day, uh, and it's difficult they, they, to talk they can cross about their it. It's difficult to talk about it in isolation from an actual complaint. Uh, there is nothing wrong with somebody getting promotion uh, via their support for a particular activity. The question is whether it is it amounts to advertising, and mm-hmm. the second question is whether it amounts to, whether it influences the content in a way that uh, uh, is bad in the public interest. And that's down to the particular arrangement and what's particularly on there. There is obviously a risk in any arrangement, commercial arrangement, for content to infringe broadcasting codes and rules. But it is very much down to what the content is and what the arrangement is. So it's hard to talk about it in isolation. Okay, you said that it's down to whether you received a complaint. So what Michael Michael Foley, what Dr. Michael Foley there said about the BAI topping RT on the shoulder, is it then the case that the BAI is entirely reactive and doesn't regulate, uh, you know, doesn't intervene proactively in something like that, whereby you have people stepping over the line? 
I suppose there are two ways in which we deal with uh, compliance. There is there is the dealing with quantitative issues, so we would actively monitor for compliance with commercial communications, advertising sponsorship, and the BEI staff would take views on that. When you get into things like standards around journalism or offence or harm, we have the compliance committee. Uh, so, for example, it wouldn't be, if you're dealing with something like offence or harm, it wouldn't be appropriate for somebody like myself, an individual, to take a view on the thing that's, that deals with standards in society and broadcasting. That's why we have a compliance committee of eight individuals mm-hmm. who are appointed via the governmental and joint trials process to make those decisions. So for things like fairness, objective impartiality... And but but like do they only react to death, complaints? They, they, they do react to complaints. That's but the do they only react to complaints? Uh, or if issues arise from monitoring that, that can be escalated. So generally speaking, it is complaints, it is complaints driven. And that's the way that, that's the way the statute, the law is, is in place. Okay. So, so you're essentially bound by statute that you can't perhaps have somebody monitoring there and saying, even though we haven't received any complaints about this, we think this is an issue. Uh, generally speaking, when it comes to things like offence, harm, or standards around journalism, they, 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 the view of the BIs and the way the law is written is that it's appropriate that those decisions are made by a group of people, mm-hmm. and the, the way in which that happens is via the complaints handling process. DAB launched in Ireland in November 2006. That's nearly 13 years ago at this stage. What advances have been made in the 13 years since? And not not significant advances. I mean, RTE have been driving the, their 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 service, and that's available in about sixty percent of the country. There's a recent trial in in Cork, but there, I suppose there isn't, there hasn't to date been any commercial appetite to to operate DAB services on a, on a large scale. That's mainly because I suppose FM works very well, and secondly, DAB is is quite expensive. Uh, so there is that market interest. So there, there hasn't really. Wait, 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 wait there. What's, what's expensive? DAB. It's expensive to listen to or expensive to broadcast. It's expensive to put in place the infrastructure. Oh, okay. Uh, so one, if you take something like broadcasting, you can put it. You can put a transmitter on top of a hill, mm-hmm. and you can catch a large area. DAB requires lower level transmitters and much more of them. So it is quite. It is quite expensive, and FM works very well. And, and it is very popular in Ireland. Uh, I think in the UK there is a there is a single or there's a number of single infrastructure providers, and then the broadcasters effectively then pay for carriage contractors. Services. Yeah, yeah uh, UK, the UK the UK need. has more than fifty percent of all radio listening now in the UK is yeah. digital. Norway probably leads the field. Norway turned off their FM networks right, yeah. in 2017, so they're effectively whether they like it or not, they're 100 percent digital. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, do we know what percent of listening in Ireland is digital? Uh, I don't have those figures. It wouldn't compare to FM. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be high. It's, it's certainly a long way less than fifty percent. Yeah, and I think what's happening over time is, I mean, you're seeing the rise of the smart speakers, such as. Uh, such as the the Google and the Amazon, and a lot of people listen to radio through those. So I think there's a there's a very much a kind of a change in technology. So I, I think certainly there's been no commercial appetite to invest very heavily in DAB in Ireland, and maybe the technology is changing. We're going to have 5G. We're going to have we have the growth of those smart speakers. We have podcasting and radio. So it's not. We are going to be reviewing digital audio broadcasting and the and the appetite for that in the coming in the in the coming few in the coming year or two. So we'll see whether that creates uh, new opportunities or new interests. But at the moment, there isn't there isn't there isn't a, there doesn't seem to be a sufficient market appetite or audience appetite for DAB. Okay, for the listeners who may not know the term, what is cross media ownership? 
Uh, Cross-media ownership would be basically where a company owns uh, different types of media formats and platforms. Uh, so you might own, you know, you might own radio stations, television stations, newspapers, or you might also own cinema or other types of uh, different media. So it's RTE would would you know would have cross-media ownership of radio and television services. Yes, uh, um, that, that's of, that's one thing with the yeah. with the public sector broadcaster. But Ireland's media up to just a couple of weeks ago, uh, the situation has changed recently but the up to a couple of weeks ago there was a very high degree of cross media ownership in Ireland and that you I think you'd agree is viewed as a bad thing because when a very high proportion of the independent media is owned by a small number of people or even one person that limits the amount of voices that limits the uh, the range of opinions that you tend to get on air what does the BAI do to to prevent that yeah, well, I suppose, I mean, cross-media ownership isn't in itself a bad thing. It's about the extent to which and the range of services that any one person or group of persons own. I mean, that's the, it's the concentration of ownership that is the key. In terms of the BEI's role under the Broadcasting Act, when we are licensing services or considering changes in ownership of radio services or television services, we'll, we, we have an obligation to consider three things. One, uh, that the desirability of any person or group owning an undue Number of radio services in the state as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, the undue, the desirability of anyone owning an undue amount of radio or television services in a particular geographic area like Dublin or, or Cork or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then also the, uh, the desirability of anyone owning an undue amount of communications media. Uh, and for the purposes of our, our regulation, that would include, uh, print, radio, television, broadcasting platforms. Ah, that was but good. You've, you've answered my next question. Internet or digital media. Okay. You've answered my next question because Dennis O'Brien, through various companies, owns a Communicorp, which includes Dublin's 98FM, News Talk, Spin 1038, another spin station in the Southwest, and Today FM. That's a big, big chunk of uh, radio listenership. And in addition, owned the Herald, the Irish Independent, the Belfast Telegraph, the Irish Daily Star, the Sunday Independent, Sunday Life in the North, the Sunday World, and a whole slew of local papers like the Kerryman, the Drogheda Independent, the Waterford People, the Wexford People, and other, other newspapers. Was that too much? Well, I mean, the, the B, when the, when the, when, uh, Communicar purchased the range of radio services a number of years ago, we did an assessment of whether the, the, the company had a, what, what would be an undue amount of communications media. And our view at the time was that the answer was no. Uh, How much would you need to own to be too much? Well, it's done on a case by case basis. Uh, that's the problem, isn't it? Uh, well, no, that's the strength of it. Uh, the other thing to bear in mind is that since... Well, no, since it's not. Hold on. No, no, pause, 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 pause on that for a second. Yeah, yeah. Because if you had a published rule, because this is what the FCC does in the States, and they say that, uh, I don't know if the rule has changed, but the rule was expressed very clearly so that a 10-year-old would be able to tell if somebody was complying with the rules or not. They said no interest can own more than one TV station and one newspaper in a particular media market, say a city like New York or Los Angeles or Kansas City or whatever. So then a 10-year-old could say if you're breaking the rules or not. Uh, When you have these woolly criteria like they shouldn't own too much and there's no definition either, you know, there's no public definition of how much is too much, even though he has in recent weeks sold his stakes in independent newspapers, Dennis O'Brien still owns 
100% of all national radio stations, national independent radio stations in Ireland. Well, in terms of the, in terms of the, the I suppose I'll say two things to that. One, the BI has a particular role. And in terms of radio services, no one person or group can own more than 25% of the total number of radio services uh, in the state. But there are also, unlike the FCC in Ireland, there's also two other bodies which have a role in making decisions around uh, what would be called media concentration. Uh, the, the Consumer and Competition Protection Commission will look mm-hmm. at market issues. Yes. And then the, the Minister for Communications under the media mergers legislation will will look at any significant media mergers in terms of plurality. So there's a fairly wide range of different... Okay, uh, but can you, can you repeat and, the BAI and, and rule? Can you repeat that, the BAI our rule? view is that the legislation needs to be updated as well. Okay, can you repeat the BAI rule? Because I didn't catch that. What's the, yeah, well, what's the limit? In terms of radio services, yeah. uh, we will not permit anyone under the current policy, we will not permit any individual or group of individuals to own more than 25% of the total number of radio services in the state. Ah, so hold on for a second. So the total Total number of radio, of course, yes, but the total number of radio stations. So you're counting by number of radio stations. So somebody owns the huge big hitters, the Today FM and the News Talk. Each of those count as one station. And if you're talking about Portumna local radio, that counts as another radio station. Am I right? That is true, but we also that's a huge weakness, isn't it? That 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 is just one of the tests. We'll also then look at the 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 impact of ownership in a particular specified geographical area, and then so we'll also look at the total communications market. So we're not just looking at that twenty five percent figure in isolation. Okay. Nevertheless, would you not agree that it would be much more transparent to have published criteria that everybody can know what's allowed and what's not allowed rather than somebody slides a a request under the door and white smoke or, or, or black smoke comes out depending on whether it's or not it's approved? That encourages people to believe that if you're the right person and you have the backing of the right political party, even though that might not be true, that undermines confidence in the system, doesn't it? I think you 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 need to have a balance of approaches because I mean I don't think you you know to simply say that because somebody owns X that they have they, that that's the only consideration because what you you what you do need to do is you need to balance I mean the 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 the, the BI's approach and the legislative approach talks about the importance of having a diversity of content and also a diversity of ownership and those mm-hmm. two things exist in balance uh, and you do have to decide uh, between what's you know if, if such and such owns this I service. I think we were talking earlier the diversity of content in Ireland is weak. Moment, if they can't own if you need to you know you need to look at what's available to audiences but also who will fund that and also you need to look at it in the, in the totality. So yes you in the likes of the 25% for the BEI that's a useful measure but if you're dealing with a local community service if you had one particular owner owning all of the media services in Cork uh, they might know the total. That might make a lot of difference in the national scene, but it does make a difference in the local scene. So you need to be taking about a qualitative and a quantitative look at these things, uh, and uh, you need to take them on a case by case basis. A simple number, I don't think, is a sufficient measure uh, because it might the number might mean something important at a national level, but might mean nothing at a local level. So you do need to take a more nuanced approach. Okay. Um, finally, Declan, what new services can we look forward to in the next short while? 
Uh, at the moment, uh, we are, uh, we are, we are. I suppose the the way the licensing process, as I said, works is depending on what's in what the interest is. We're currently inviting expressions of interest for a number of radio services in 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 regionally. So what the the current the current franchise areas for the I Radio, and uh, Northeast Midlands and Northwest is currently up for for renewal. Uh, there's also we're also inviting view uh, applications around uh, what will currently be the Radio Nova service. Uh, so, well, depending on what the applications are, that will determine what finally is licensed. What we have what we have found recently in terms of radio licensing is that there hasn't been a significant interest in, in new radio licenses other than those which are currently held by those radio services. So there hasn't been a lot of competitive licensing. So I mean that's what the market is willing to what the market is willing to fund very much determines what the commercial radio sector uh, looks like. Uh, Declan McLaughlin, Senior Manager at the BAI, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you, William. If you like the Here's How podcast, please rate and review the show on iTunes and other podcast providers. Share it on Facebook and Twitter. Tell your friends. But most of all, make your views heard. Call us on 076 603 5060. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from me, I'd certainly love to do them and I could devote more time to them if I got them sponsored. I have a page on Patreon that allows ordinary listeners to donate a dollar or two per podcast or per month, whatever you want. So if you think it's valuable, please do that and share the podcast with your friends so they can do the same. Go to the website for sources and references from the show. And while you're there, you can like the show on Facebook, follow at Here's How Podcast on Twitter, and follow the Broadcasting Authority at BAI Tweets. And get in touch with me if you think you can suggest a guest or a topic for a future show. Also, you can find out how to subscribe to the podcast for free on your computer, on your phone, or by email. All that, including my Patreon link, are at www.hereshow.ie. The Here's How podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Thank you for listening. Thank you.